Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get where the Ken Burns is a barbecuer. Tales from the pits. Howdy, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian. And Andrew. And today we are here at Regal's Barbecue with a special guest. My name is Eric Sandler. I'm the food editor for Culture Map. And uh, if you follow food in Houston for the last several years, you should be familiar with Eric's work. Um, Eric's been one of the on the forefront of a lot of the Houston food scene for, for quite a while now, dating back to your days at, at Eater and now at Culture Map. Eric, you're a Houston boy, born and bred, right? Yeah, I grew up here. I we lived in the Memorial area until I was a first grader, and then we moved to Sugarland. And so you've grown up in the Houston food world and seen all the changes and growth and different things that come and gone, especially in barbecue too. Um, how did you? How did food writing become something you wanted to do for a living? Well, I, I mean, what I what I always say is that I, I was always a pretty adventurous eater. You know, I remember going to Papado and trying frog's legs for the first time or going to Anthony's and having tiramisu and, and asobuco with Damien. So I, I was always kind of a curious eater. And then I, I never thought that I would be a professional writer. I really thought I would be either a paralegal or an attorney. Um, I just was kind of in the right place at the right time in my life to, to kind of make a career change and see if food writing was something that uh, I would be good at and, and that I would enjoy and that and really that people would read uh, because you know you can be you can be brilliant and erudite but if nobody reads it then you don't get to do it for very long so it was just a, a I was in the right place at the right time when when Eater gave me a shot with no journalism background or experience just a I guess a, a pretty good uh, pretty good ability to string a sentence together and and a willingness to to write a lot of content for not a lot of money when I started. So that's <laughs> how were, I got started. What were some of those early articles you remember writing? You know, it was just, you know, Eater is, is very much the news of the day. So like the, I think one of the very first things I remember writing was uh, the late night pie fire. Uh, and then somebody went into Killen's steakhouse and ordered like $10,000 worth of wine. And, and, you know, I, you know, it's just it. It's 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 really small, like what you start with, and then you you start doing the monthly heat maps of new restaurants to try, and as as places open, you kind of track that. So, you know, I remember a, a big push when uh, the passing provisions opened. There was a a restaurant in New York that had opened, and Eater New York did like a daily update on it. So, like for the two weeks before P and P opened, I found some little nugget somewhere on social media or something that was on their website or. You know, I did a daily P and P update right through the opening, and, and I think that um, I think that really impressed the people in New York that I, I was willing to kind of bring that level of obsession to the Eater Houston site, and I think it, it built some credibility in the chef community that that this was a restaurant that a lot of people were excited about and that was getting, I guess, the attention they thought it deserved. And one thing that that you've never shied away from is you have opinions and you're not afraid to voice your opinions, which which can, you know, it, it can rub people the wrong way. It can be controversial, but to us, we think, what's the point of doing it if you don't have an opinion on what you're doing? Well, it's always a kind of a funny thing because it's hard to write about restaurants purely objectively, right? This, you know, this is who opened. This, this is what opened. This is who's behind it. This is the kind of food they serve. These are the prices. These are the hours. It's like, you know, because eventually someone's going to ask you, well, is it any good or not? 
It's like, should we, should we eat there? And, and so, you know, at Eater, you, you don't really ex- express, as an Eater editor, you don't really express an opinion, but, you know, the frequency with which you write about a place demonstrates a certain enthusiasm for it. Uh, obviously, a culture map, I do that monthly list of restaurants to try, and so that allows me to express an opinion, and people really like that column, I think, because they, it guides their, you know, they, they're not going to try 10 new restaurants a month like I do. Uh, they might try one, or they might try one every couple of months, but they look to those lists for guidance, and so I, I take that really seriously. Yeah, and you can always go back and reference those articles later on too, which is a nice thing. If you're, you know, if you if you were if you had that on your list, and I've done this before, and oh yeah, what was it he, that he said was good there? You can always go back to that article and find that. Whereas if you were just writing the blurb of X Y Z restaurant open, you, you wouldn't have that little nugget to go back to. And and we talk about it in barbecue all the time, like knowing what a place does well and and trying to find those specific items. So things like that are helpful. I mean, again, people. People shy away from having opinions these days on blogs and podcasts because I mean, well, um, well they want I, they want to be the nice guy. They and, want to be and, the nice guy. And we're and, one of the ones that we try not to talk negatively about about restaurants on the show. But right, but it, when I look to a critic, I look to try to find somebody that's honest because I want to know their opinions. I don't want to know every place is great. I want to know the places that are truly great to separate those and make that experience better when I go visit. Right, and and while we may not, you know, we're not going to go on a podcast and, and trash a place. We also will not put a pot, someone on our podcast whose food we don't like. So I mean, that's that's kind of the where we try to toe the line in it. And it's not to say, hey, if someone hasn't been on their show, it means their food's not any good. We may just may not have gotten to them yet, but there are there have been conscious efforts for us to to not have anyone on the show whose food we don't personally feel is is worth promoting or or saying good things about. And we also won't have anyone on the show whose food we haven't eaten. So. We try to we try to straddle that line as much as we can, um, but in the world of food media blogs these days, it's it's easy to to want to get the the freebie and the handout, and you get that if you do nothing but say everything is fantastic. And there are media people that will do that, and you've never been that person, which is kind of nice. <laughs> I have never been that person. I'm amazed. I have also never been thrown out of a restaurant, and I feel like in six years, I I've certainly earned it at a couple of places, and it just hasn't happened yet. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a box I'm waiting to check. So, well, and that that happened in Dallas, right? It was the uh, the food critic up there that was banned from a particular restaurant. Oh, there's been food critics in Houston that have been banned from particular restaurants there. Yeah. Right, or or thrown out of places. It's, yeah, you know, I'm I'm waiting. It's it's coming for me one of these days, I'm sure. <laughs> we need to find out which place we we need to talk a, per, a barbecue person into throwing Eric at a restaurant <laughs> just, just just so he can check that off the list. Russell Russell will do it. Nah, Russell just left. He can't yeah. do it. But. But so let's let's we'll take it to barbecue because obviously we're a barbecue show and you are a barbecue pilgrim I believe is on the the profile. I, I, I think that's right. I think that's in my Twitter profile. Yeah. And Houston barbecue, you've you grew up with it. Yeah, you've seen how it's changed, how it's evolved. Yeah, I mean when I, I mean my first barbecue memories are going to the the Luthers that doesn't exist anymore on Gessner, uh, just north of I ten. You know, the part of Sugarland that I grew up in, we uh, we went to Vasos Barbecue quite a bit, Derry Ashford in 90. It's still there. Uh, you know, kind of classic Greek-style-owned barbecue joint. Uh, very lean, under-seasoned. You ever go back brisket. in there these days? Uh, you know, I haven't been in years and years. I, I suspect it hasn't It changed very much. Fall off the bone ribs. You know, we had a lot of, uh, you know, sliced beef or chopped beef sandwiches back then. And I, we didn't, I mean... 
we liked it, right? I didn't, I didn't know, I wouldn't discover kind of what was out there until I got a little older. Uh, Luling City Market Barbecue in Luling, not to be confused with Luling City Market in Houston, <laughs> was one of my very first transformative barbecue experiences where you, you walk in and the pit room is filled with smoke and they, they pull the meat out and they slice it right in front of you and kind weigh it. a true, it. honest barbecue experience. Yeah. Too. And, and it was just, I, I think I was in college, and it was just so good. It was so much better than the barbecue that I was getting locally. And it sent me, you know, and I encountered Rob Walsh's writing at some point, And that sent me to William's Smokehouse uh, and, uh, and eventually to Pearson's. But, but I remember going to Acres Homes, going to, to William's multiple times and that was kind of became the point of, of pilgrimage locally before I started driving out in central Texas. Houston barbecue has obviously changed. I mean, Swinging Door and Richmond Rosenberg's where it was my local place growing up. I, I still talk about wanting to go back there just to, just to see is it, I'm, I, I'm sure it hasn't changed from what it is, but it's, it, it's a different, it's a different product. It's a different quality of meat. A lot of time these days, different ways prepared, different way it's served. Um, as far as fat on, fat off, that kind of stuff. Um, well, a lot of those places in, in the 80s suffered from you know, the, the popularity of Southern Pride cookers. Yeah, automation became a big thing in barbecue in the late 80s and even into the 90s. Well, I mean, in the 90s, if I had friends come into town or, or family, I mean, we went to Good Company. That was kind of the gold standard of Houston barbecue. Yeah, and Good Company is still plugging along today, still doing you know the same processes they've been doing. You know, and, and these older Houston joints, are they're not going to morph into the new school barbecue that we enjoy now. It's just not what they do. Well, they've got a built-in clientele. That, uh, right. That would that, that would, they would abandon it. And heck, we're sitting in Regals right now. Russell's talked about that many times about how all the brushback he got when he transitioned from Baker's Ribs into Regals as far as the locals that have been eating Baker's Ribs for 10, 15 years saying, what's all this black pepper doing on my brisket? and you know, what, where's all this fat coming from? And yeah, so it, you have to you have to be careful when you're one of those older school joints. And let's face it, people are stubborn. A lot of times you don't want to change. You have to be dragged into that change for you know because business is going down, or you just have to have a passion to want to do that change, like Russell did. But what was when Houston when the whole barbecue boom happened? You know, circa the Franklin era. What was what was that first Franklin esque experience for you? Was it at Franklin or was it somewhere in Houston? Or so I I have a very distinct memory of. I guess I got. Well, I had I had met Chris Reed and Michael Fulmer and and some of those guys starting back in 2009. So at some point, we started hitting the road. I didn't go the first couple of times with them, but I made it to Snows eventually. I made it to Louis Miller eventually, and that. That kind of set things, and then I, for the more modern joints, I, I was reading about Franklin. I mean, I, I had been working a job, and I got I got laid off. Um, I got laid off in early 2011, and so just one morning, I was like, "Screw it! I'm driving! I'm driving to Austin!" And I drove to Austin, and I got to the trailer location of Franklin before they moved to the restaurant. At I don't know, somewhere in the 10 10:30 range, there were only like a couple of people waiting online. And so I hung out and I waited and I went to Franklin Barbecue for the first time. And then they opened the restaurant um, in the fall or between I, I went I went back to the restaurant in the fall of 2011. And I, I got in line again in, 
in that like 10, 10, 30 range. And the line wasn't, you know, it was maybe down the stairs. It wasn't like, yeah. it wasn't what it would be now if I tried to do that. And I had an, another Franklin experience and it was, it was mind blowing both times. I mean, it was, it was definitely qualitatively better than anything we had in Houston and, and really anything I'd, I think I'd encountered anywhere else. And I, I think it, was, it wasn't just even that it was better, but, but the delta, the difference was just so great. Right. I mean, there, it was such a high level above everybody else for so long. Yeah. Well, it was funny. I was telling Brian a few weeks ago, I, I somehow tracked down the first tweet I ever sent out. And it was literally me tweeting at Texas Monthly after one after going to I, I think I did the whole Luling Lockhart run in a day, and the next day went to Franklin for I don't know fifth sixth time I'd been there, telling them they needed to update their list. Not you know I, mean, I didn't know anything about anything at the time. I just knew that what I ate at Franklin tasted way different from anything I was eating in any of the places on their top list before because it was just a different product. You know the way the way he seasons the way he cooks i mean it just it the changed whole process everything it does it, it changed everything and and houston eventually started picking up that right i think gatlin's was the first place that i remember going to locally yeah that had kind of started to get that reputation for that little house on 19th street yeah that little tiny and it took forever right it, <laughs> not not so much to order the ordering part was easy it was it's it was, getting the food it yes. was getting the food out that was tricky and i never quite understood what was going on back there, but <laughs> none of us did. Uh, but you know, and then from there, uh, you know, I, I made it to Corkscrew to their trailer because I'd been hearing good things about it, and and obviously, you know, I had known Ronnie already before he started expressing an interest in barbecue. I I went to the very first pop up at the steakhouse and kind of followed that process through the leasing of the the school cafeteria and building out Kellen's Barbecue and. And opening it and all of that, and, and that's when it really just feels like things really took off. Yeah, I mean, really exciting yeah. days. I mean, with, with all of the uh, kind of the internal churn that those, those were causing, and you'd hear a new place and everybody would rush to it, and, and you'd find out it really was good. And like, oh, my God, here's another great new place in Houston. And Because there were so few at the time. Yeah. I mean, well, it really was. Right. I mean, I, I remember, you know, Patrick Fegis was doing barbecue pop-ups you know, at, at Underbelly or at Grand Prize or whatever. And, and, you know, so here's this talented young guy who's interested in barbecue but has all this, this training from Brennan's and Underbelly. And, and he was interested in barbecue, and Ronnie was opening a barbecue place. And I think I, I wrote at some point, like, you know, maybe he should go work for Ronnie. <laughs> and, and that actually wound up happening. So I, I kind of spoke that into, into being uh, – but, you know, it just it, it made sense that something like that would happen. Yeah, and Killens was the turning point for Houston. Like I said, Gatlin's got it started, and Killens really made people try, you know, change their game, and it picked up the boom in Houston. Ironically, it made us not go to Killens as much as we used to because I used to go to Killens once a month because it was by far the best thing in Houston, and now I have other options that are equally good. You know, so I mean, it's, it's corkscrew hard. when they when they when they're in a trailer. I mean, there was there was so few places, and, and it's, there's plenty of barbecue places in Houston, but just at that level, um, at that time, yeah. at that level, and we were doing a lot of road trips out of town, a lot more than we do now. Right, right, and and I was in the same way, you know, and and whether with with Chris and Fulmer, or you know, eventually I started hanging out with Chen and Felice from Urban Swank, and they had an interest in in going on these barbecue trips and. You know, Snows and Miller usually, but then, you know, we'd go all the way to Cooper's and Lano or out to, you know, all these other places and, and 
or you know an Austin trip, right? Like maybe not Franklin, but maybe Law and Miklas Weiss and and eventually Valentina's and some of these other places because we just didn't have enough right. here in Houston that was of interest. But um, I don't think that's the case anymore. Oh no, I mean we can do a we can do a trip in Houston and and spend three days I think now on the road yeah, in Houston solid. The, the growth and the explosion of Houston barbecue is crazy, and it's you know. We keep waiting for it to finally hit that peak and level off, and it just keeps growing, growing, growing. Yeah. And I think we might be getting closer to that peak, but I thought that a year ago too. So. Well, but I—I I mean, I don't—I don't—I don't think we're we're really that close to the peak, to be honest with you, because there's still whole parts of the city that don't have a, a decent barbecue joint. Very in them, true, right? I mean, we'll we'll see what happens in Katy uh, with Daddy Duncan, with uh, Coopers, with. Whoever else is yeah, going to build out there. You mentioned Cooper's, and Cooper's is coming to yeah. Katy. I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing in Sugarland of any quality. I mean, Harlem Road is out there, and what R is doing is interesting. But, but, you know, there's that. It's a huge area that's that's very very underserved. You know, yeah. I think I think kind of the central corridor. By the time Truth opens, hopefully in the next month or so, you know, I think I think kind of central Houston will probably be good, but. I mean, really, west of Regals, and yeah. other than you know, north, right? Like the the north side, weirdly, Spring in the Woodlands is is pretty comfortably set at this point, and the rest of the city's kind of open season. Yeah, yeah, there are still very. I mean, as a testament how huge the Houston area really is, there are still these considerable pockets of Houston that could still withstand having really good barbecue. Well, I mean, even Austin, people keep saying it's saturated and, and somebody like John Brotherton opens up and he's a little bit outside of town, but I mean, he's doing great. He's opened up a second location. So I think we still have a few years to go of, of some still exciting openings yeah. and new places and even some, some trendsetters in barbecue. So what is it that you look for in a barbecue restaurant? Because everyone has their own ideals of what a barbecue joint should be and what they look for and for what's great barbecue to them. I mean, it, it, it always starts with the brisket, right? I mean, it's got to be moist and well-seasoned and cooked well and fatty and rendered right and all those qualities that we like. And then, you know, you go to the ribs and the sausage if they make it or if they don't. Like, I, I, have, a, I have a pretty deep affection for turkey. I like smoked turkey. Uh, sides, I, you know, I think one of the things that defines some of these new school barbecue joints is that they're they're paying more attention to the sides, and that's that's more of a consideration. And then think about a place like the pit room, where you know it's not even it's not even whether the quality of the barbecue is good or bad. I mean, it's it's very good, but you know it's those stupid tortillas, right? Those brisket fat tortillas <laughs> yeah. and the the queso and the chicharrones that make eating there such just, a good yeah, experience. Last night, I think deja vu. Yeah, we were just yes. talking about pit room last night. Yeah, those tacos. I mean. They're incredible. And the chicharrones. I yeah. mean, it's, it's great to see the right. variety. Well, and that's one of the things that we talk about a lot is as barbecue becomes a more crowded market, if you only open up the gates serving brisket, ribs, and sausage, you're going to have a hard time making a name for yourself because you can get those items done really well in a lot of places. And so a lot of these places are starting to try to find signature items or unique items to their place that's going to make you want to go back to that joint because you can only get the the tortillas at pit room or you can only get the pastrami at well 18 places yeah. now but or, or, <laughs> the, or the bourbon banana pudding or the bourbon banana Ragles pudding and, Ragles, and now yeah. don't forget that if i don't know if we've talked about it much but the the peanut butter banana pudding here now too yeah and so they, these places are getting more creative and thinking more outside the box and 
And a lot of it, I mean, it's, you know, you have a lot of chefs that are getting into barbecue now, and they come at it with a more, not just, you know, not, not just let me see, let me throw these four meats on a pit standpoint. And so you're getting a lot of the young creative guys like Patrick Fegis and Aaron Smith that are doing 11 meats and eight sides or whatever the heck they're doing in that food court, which is just amazing. Um, but what, where do you see Houston barbecue going over the next couple of years? Well, I mean, I, I think we're, we're seeing it. I mean, I think that, that Tex-Mex influence, um, not just at the pit room, but certainly with everything John Avia is doing at both Burrow and the Bull and Henderson and Kane, I think that's such a no-brainer for, for people in Houston to kind of make those things, to, to make those connections. And then I, I do think we'll see more attention to sides, you know, seasonal vegetables. I mean, I think what Leroy and Lewis is doing in Austin, there's certainly room for, and what the Fijis is, uh, are doing, I think there's, there's certainly room for, for more of that here. You know, I, I think that's what sets Houston apart from other cities. I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, Leroy and Lewis, you know, they're pretty unique. Obviously, S. Saul has his spin and Valentina's has their spin. But you really look at Houston and what they're doing with barbecue between Fijis and Blood Brothers. I mean, even yeah, well, Boy, there's a lot. Of, so Blood much Brothers fusion. is another one that's, you know, you know, in the process of building out and opening. I'm, I'm a little surprised we haven't seen more of the Asian influence in barbecue, especially in Houston with the with the heavy Asian population we have. With the Vietnamese, there's a heavy Chinese population here. I, you know, I, I personally would welcome more of that, you know, more of that influence into barbecue. Right. I mean, that Thai spice sausage the Blood Brothers do is delicious, and and yeah, I mean, I think that's another one of those avenues of exploration that we'll see more of. In the years to come. And outside of Houston, the Switch with their Cajun Cajun menu, Honky Tonk Kid is doing fusion. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't see a whole lot of Cajun influence here, which you would think yeah, you'd see. I mean, there's boudin Other than boudin, menus, lots but, of boudin, yeah. But, but yeah, you, you haven't seen a whole lot of the Cajun influence in And, and Ray's has their, yeah. um, their, their seafood sausage. Yep. And um, even even Tejas. And what Tejas is doing with their, their deli and their klobosniks and some of that. I mean, and Pinkerton's doing... Kalachis. Um, he calls them kalachis. They call them kalbasnecks, and we're all right. Everybody's right. Uh, yeah, we're all right. We're all wrong. None of us pronounce it right. Yeah. And, and, but, and there's but always I, someone to tell us we're saying it wrong. So. But I, I think you kind of have to do that now because the, the level of barbecue is, is reached. I mean, it, it, what Franklin's preached in his book and how many people are following his, his processes and, and improving and doing their own spin on it. But um, there's a lot of great barbecue out now, and so you're looking for things that really stand out. And I think Houston's the perfect place for that to happen. Yeah. I know in years past you've done best of lists, things like that. And you know, I know people love lists. Readers love lists. People love to comment on lists and tell you how your list is crap. Is there going to be a Culture Map Barbecue best of list coming out anytime? Uh, you know, I think it's been probably a couple of years since I wrote the last one. I, I think I'd like to let Truth and Blood Brothers get open and then kind of get a sense of where everybody slots. I mean, I was I was walking into Regal's here, thinking like, is this a top five Houston barbecue joint? Is it a top ten Houston barbecue? It's, it's certainly in the top ten. But then, God, if I if I say if I say Killens, Corkscrew, Tejas, Gatlins, if I put in Regal's as the fifth, like that means leaving out. The pit room and Pinkertons and and Fijis. It's like it's a good problem to it's have. It's a good yeah. problem yeah. to have. It's something we didn't have just a couple of years yeah. ago. It's amazing. No, I mean you can go back and find a top ten list that I wrote, a top ten barbecue list that I wrote in 2013 that has Rudy's on it, and I would argue that at the time 
that was legit. You yeah, know, the, the, the quality of the, the product being served by Rudy's was, was yeah. pretty good. And now I, you know, I think you'd be laughed out of the room if you did that. And yeah. rightfully so. And, and, you know, it's same thing with some of the, the classics that have been around. I mean, Pizzatola's um, was, was absolutely a top five barbecue joint not long ago. And I don't think they've gotten any worse or better. They're, they're exactly where they were. But the level of competition in barbecue has just really increased. And the level of quality. Yeah. Well, Eric, I know you also, in case you don't have enough going on with writing all the articles, you do eating all the places, you also have a podcast. I do. What's Eric Eating? Um, it's a weekly culture map uh, podcast, or most yes. most weeks. It's uh, well, yeah, most most every week, you know, with some obvious exceptions for holidays, and and I go on vacation a little bit in the summer, and that, so we we missed a couple weeks, but yeah, I started in May of 2017, and I will record episode 75 uh, this week, so it's pretty consistent. Yeah, and it's a, it's a it's a great resource if you're looking for the latest in what's going on in Houston food. If there's barbecue relevant news, there is barbecue news. And, you know, you've had uh, multiple barbecue people on the show in the past. Um, I, I know Leonard's been on the show before. Yeah, Leonard, uh, Patrick and Aaron have been on the show. Ronnie's been on the show. Uh, Nicole and Will from Corkscrew have been on. So uh, John and Veronica from Oh yeah, from Burrow Henderson and, and Kay so, and, and, and Old yeah. Yep. So yeah, so I've. I've you know, I keep the, the barbecue content coming. I, well represented. Yeah. It's not a dedicated barbecue podcast. There are enough of those in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, obviously, barbecue is a big part of what's exciting about dining in Houston. And, and so, you know, I, I assume at some point uh, in the not-too-distant future that I will have uh, Greg Gatlin and, and Michelle on from Gatlin's. I mean, I, I think what, what they're doing is really exciting and, and worth talking about. So... The podcast is great because it gives me the opportunity to have a, a more in-depth conversation with people and, and focus on some topics that that maybe don't make sense in a culture map article. But you know, I've had I've had farmers and and you know Barton Springs Mill, which is this Texas mill that's milling Texas wheat for local flour. You know, so that could, those kind of sustainability uh, topics maybe maybe aren't a aren't a good fit for a regular article, but. Uh, they've been they've been wonderful to do on the podcast. Yeah, and then there's always at the end there's always the lightning round where you, you get to find out a couple of interesting tidbits about the interview guests. Yes, yes, I fun. ask I ask five stupid questions to people. They're they're very kind to humor me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I didn't plan this. We, you, you want to do a lightning round for us? <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. Uh, you want me to ask my usual yeah, my usual uh, lightning yeah. round no, question? Your oyster. <laughs> that makes it easier easier for us. You can ask the questions and provide the answers. Uh, I like this. <laughs> um, all right, Brian, what is the uh, – who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? I, I'm, I'm a big J.J. Watt fan. I, Andrew? I, I'm from New York. <laughs> um, if I'm going to say present, I'd probably go Springer. Um, if, if I can throw in a second one, though, Akeem Olajuwon, I moved to Houston um, not long before the Rockets won. And so it, it was it was a huge time in the city, and it, it yeah, really they, cements a lot of memories to me. Back, back when I cared about basketball, yeah. so it just broke I, my I remember little, the parade down yeah, Richmond Avenue. It was just an incredible I mean, when, time. I, when I had E.J. Miller on, he had to do favorite, favorite Rocket, favorite uh, Texan slash Oiler and favorite <laughs> Astro. He he was not going to be pigeonholed to one athlete. <laughs> there God, you go. Yeah. God bless him for that. Um, <laughs> Brian, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-through. A lot, really. Um, 
I, I think lately it's been Arby's. Um, I, I will say their their beef short rib sandwich does not suck. It's surprising. I do not suck. believe you. I don't <laughs> and, either. Um, I could find a loophole and tell you it's a sausage wrap from Southside Market because they do have a drive-thru, but I won't go there. Um, guilty pleasure. About once or twice a year, I eat Whataburger to remind myself why I don't eat Whataburger and, and, and to be confounded why Texans love it so much. But about once or twice a year, I will get the uh, A1 Thick and Hardy. Well, see, uh, I, I, like, I like hot dogs from the gas station, but they don't have a drive-thru. So <laughs> that's truly my guilty pleasure. Uh, I usually ask chefs what their favorite ingredient is. You guys, I suspect it's both going to be black pepper, so... No, it's not. Oh, good. All right, Brian, what's your favorite ingredient? Paprika. Ah. Smoked paprika. Just, I'm throwing it in everything I can now. Pastrami. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Barbecue chef. Um, favorite ingredient. What am I... Uh, bourbon. <laughs> and then we've been using bourbon yeah, a lot Basically of throwing lately. it in yeah. everything we can, sure. too, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brian, what's the first band you ever saw in concert? God, I cannot remember. Um, one, I mean, I saw Madonna and Prince. Those were some of my first ones. No, no that counts. I, I, I Probably mean, you know, Ronnie musician. Millsap, okay. to be honest. I saw them with my parents. Saw him. Megadeth with Corrosion of Conformity at the International Ballroom. <laughs> and then finally, where's your favorite place to get a taco? Wow. Valentina's. Yeah, I mean... I'm thinking. I'm not. I'm thinking of a traditional taco. If not we're going Houston, taco. I'll go pit room. Does, does that count? A barbecue taco? Yeah, I guess? yeah, yeah. No, Valentina's oh, has been a Valentina's, popular. Valentina's. Yes. Just. I always have to remember. I, I. I get so excited there, and it's in the morning. I forget a lot of times to order the moist brisket in the taco, and I just. I love a moist brisket taco, and I forget sometimes that I get the lean brisket. And I'm like, I look at it. I'm like, I should have ordered the moist. Well, no, apparently the hack at Valentina's is to order a sliced brisket taco. So you don't get the chopped whatever leftover brisket. Yeah, right. But if you get the real the Holyfield, it is a slice. But you do have to specify lean or more, so you might get the lean. Yeah, and I, I love I love the guacamole there. Yeah, that's, that's is and of course crazy. the tortillas. I mean, let's we need talk about tortillas Houston, again. Like badly, I would I would gladly take a Valentina's. Houston Valentinas, I like that. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk to Miguel about that. Yeah, I'm sure. All right, he's not busy enough opening <laughs> his own place. So, so those are the lightning round questions. That's what I, I put people through every week. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that was a little tough, actually. A little tougher than I thought. <laughs> All right, Eric. Well, thank you for your time. Um, again, Eric Sandler, food editor, Culture Map. If you're not reading his stuff and you want to be plugged into Houston food, you really should be. Um, Eric's been at the forefront for a long time, like we talked about. What's Eric Eating podcast? Um, at E. Sandler on Twitter. Yep, and at Eric Sandler on Instagram, which is really where... I feel like I do my best work from a social media perspective. There we go. He mostly just argues with people on Twitter. (laughs) He certainly entertains that, which is great. All right. Well, thank you, sir, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks, guys.